0: And this morning's message is entitled, The Hard Truth That Brings About Healing. The Hard Truth That Brings About Healing. Because none of us want to hear the bad news, but, but the bad news is really what brings us to the realization that we need Christ in our life. And so Paul picks it up in verse 9 and he says, what then? Are we better than they? And, and the we is the Jews that he was talking about in verses 1 to 8. We'll, we'll comment on this in just a second. But he says, What then are we as the Jews better than they, the Gentiles? No, in no wise, for we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. Key word there is all. As it is written, There's none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre, and with their tongues they have used deceit, and the poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in His sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Let's pray. Uh, We'll get into this message this morning, uh, anticipating God's healing uh, as we transition out of this text. All right, Father, we love you. Uh, We thank you again for the morning. Thank you for the the privilege of meeting. Uh, Lord, help us to see Again, as we've we've seen it the last few weeks in Romans, God, our brokenness, our depravity. Uh, on our best day, uh, we are nothing but sinners. And and Lord, we, we need to we need to hear the bad news because the bad news makes the good news even greater. It makes it more powerful. It makes it more significant. It, it makes Jesus Christ uh, more appealing to us in our sin because we realize there's no way out. And so, Lord, as we study this morning. Uh, again, I, I pray you're blessed the word and, and give us your Holy Spirit to understand it. And uh, may we be more like Christ because of what we hear today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, so uh, three, three simple points this morning uh, as we kind of talk about the hard truth of our sin nature, as we wind down chapter three, at least as far as the bad news. Look, uh, the first thing we'll talk about this morning is the all-inclusive guilt of humanity. The all-inclusive guilt of humanity. And if we go back to verse 9... Paul asks a question that I think a lot of us ask. ask. What then? Are we better than they? And the, and the we that Paul is talking about is literally speaking of the Jews that he mentioned in verses one to eight. Uh, you know, the, the Jews, as we read a couple of weeks ago in our passage, they had the oracles of God, they had, they had God's literal words given to them. They had been chosen by God throughout the Old Testament to be his chosen people. Listen, they had the the offerings, they had the sacrifices, they had the covenants, they had the the token of the covenants with circumcision. I mean, listen, they had all these advantages. And so Paul asked the question, well, aren't we as the Jews better than they, the Gentiles who didn't have any of that? And you would, in, in your human reasoning, you would say, absolutely, we're way better than those guys. They are much worse sinners than what we are, right? Uh, it's that thing of comparison. And, and listen, the Gentiles didn't have the oracles of God. They only had creation, God's general revelation. The Gentiles only had their conscience, and they, they had nature. And, and so listen, this, this thing of comparison is usually a lot, of, a lot of times how we reason that we're not guilty before God as long as i'm not as bad as fill in the blank as long as i'm better than you i'm good i mean listen as long as there's somebody worse than me in god's eyes i must be okay now you would never say that out loud because you're in church this morning right but turn your halo down because you've thought that you've thought that man i'm 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 not man listen at least i'm not a murderer you know we always go to the extreme well, yeah, I know I, I sinned a little bit, but at least I haven't like killed people and then eaten them, or okay, or something weird like that, or at least I'm not a drunk, or at least I'm not, and, and you fill in the blank of whatever the blank is that, that you're comfortable saying, at least I'm not this. Well, well Paul's kind of doing the same thing, and, he, and he's trying to help us understand that, that if you're a Jew, and you had the oracles of God, and you had the history and the traditions and all the things, and you're God's chosen people... And if you compare yourself to the Gentile, it it would be easy for you to think that you're better than them. And Paul says, You know what? The resounding answer is to the question, Are we better than they? The answer is no, in no wise. And then he says, We have proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. So sin is all inclusive, it gets every one of us. If you grew up in church, Guess what? You're still under sin. If if you grew up pagan, you're still under sin. It, it's all inclusive. And 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 we have to come to terms with not comparing ourselves with each other, but we have to come to terms with comparing ourselves to the one true God. And that's where our, our reasoning has to come from. And so so Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, this is what we do because we want to escape our accountability before God. And so we will reason and compare ourselves amongst ourselves. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not what? Are not wise. God says that when we do that, that's not wise. Uh, we have to... You know, it's easy to compare yourself with somebody else, especially when they're not doing as good as you. And you can see the flaws in their life and the shortcoming, and the sin is maybe more obvious in their life than, than maybe it is in your life. Maybe you hide it better, you know? Maybe you hide it better. Maybe you're like Adam and you hide amongst the trees. Uh, the point is that, that we are not wise in comparing ourselves with each other. Lost man, uh, lost man does this. This is the way a lost man thinks. Because if you try to reason with him, his need for Christ and for salvation, he'll look for every excuse under the sun not to come to that realization. Well, I'm not this. I'm not this. I'm better because of this. The truth is, when we compare ourselves with each other, there's always going to be that reasoning. But if we would truly compare ourselves with the one true God, we would quickly realize we all come short. We all come short of God's glory. Uh, we all we are all guilty and and, and so the next point is this, in the next nine verses, Paul lays out, God lays out through his word, and through the apostle Paul fifteen indictments against the Jews and the gentiles and and we 've kind of said this every week, like when we if you were to ask humanity. Give me the pros and cons of humanity. We would have a lot of pros and maybe just a few cons. You know, man, for the most part, is good. He's good natured. He does some good things. You know, all those different things. Listen, when you look at God's word uh, and the indictment that God levies against humanity, uh, man, we really are some broken creatures. We are are broken and and sinful and in need of a Savior. And so so Paul says in the second half of that verse, in verse 9, we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. You know in our in our country we're blessed to have a somewhat decent criminal justice system. And we have a saying in our country that goes like this that, that there is a presumption of innocence until proven guilty. Right? Innocent until proven guilty. Listen, I understand not every country is afforded that privilege, but it certainly is a wonderful concept in our culture and in our country, right? The per- presumption legally is that you're innocent and the, the prosecution, the, the, the one bringing the indictment must prove that you as the accused is guilty and they must prove it beyond reasonable doubt. See, you watched Judge Judy too. I know you did that. <laughs> I know you did that. There has to be proof of guilt beyond reasonable doubt. And if there, there is reasonable doubt, well, the accused can be acquitted of the charges. Uh, we, we understand how that works, right? Well, listen, the apostle Paul didn't grow up in the United States. I know that's hard to believe for some of you, but look, he, he's not an American and he's not familiar with the American judicial system, but he did live under a Roman judicial system. And Paul would have been one that understood this same principle, that there has to be proof of condemnation before charges and, and sentencing can, can happen. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas were in Macedonia, Paul and Silas were preaching, they got arrested, they actually got beaten, and they got imprisoned. And all of that happened without any judicial processing There was no charges, there was no proof, they were just beaten, they were imprisoned. And Paul says in Acts chapter 16, verse 37, Paul said unto them, "Ye have beaten us openly, here's the key word, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now now they just want us to walk out of here and pretend like this didn't happen, right? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants heard those words and told those words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. What's interesting is, you know, we as Americans, we are the new Romans, and so we carry some of this same judicial processing in our culture. Paul understood the Roman system of proof needed to condemn one to sentencing. And he says in verse 9, we have before proved. Both Jew and Gentile, but they're all under sin. Well when did, when did Paul prove that? Well, he proved it in, in Romans chapter one, in Romans chapter two, in Romans chapter three, verses one to eight. <laughs> he proved we're all under sin." And, and then he says in verse 10, "As it is as it is written." Now when you see that phrase in your Bible, what, what do you automatically think? You think that that's a a quotation, that's a reference to another portion of Scripture as it is written, right? So when you see that, so Paul is about to go back Old Testament and and New Testament on us, and he's going to cover the bases, but he's he's saying that, look, the proof is stacked against us. In Romans 1 to 3, it proves that we're guilty. Oh, and by the way, also the Old Testament, it proves we're guilty. It just proves we're guilty. So let me quickly go through these indictments. Uh, Imagine that we are in God's court of law. And here are the charges, and, uh, and they are right, uh, and they are accurate. Number one, the indictment, the first indictment is this, all are under sin, all are under sin. You know, we all have a sin problem because we're sinners not by just commission of what we do, we're sinners by nature, it's who we are. Romans chapter 5 says this in verses 10 to 12, for if we were enemies, uh, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom we have received the atonement. Listen to Romans 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have. Man, we, we are under sin because it's our nature, uh, and, and we got that nature from Adam, and, and I want you to understand that we're sinners not because we ultimately sin in our action. We're sin. We're sinners because of our nature. We are under sin because of Adam's sin that has been passed unto all men. And men being, all the women would say, amen. Yeah, the men ain't nothing but a bunch of sinners. <laughs> okay, turn your halo down, women. Men as in mankind. Okay. <laughs> I knew I was married to one. Okay, so no, no, don't. Don't nudge your husband right now. <laughs> we'll have marriage conference slots available at the end of the sermon. All are under sin. You know, Ephesians goes into that and says that when we were lost, man, we had a, a, a spirit of disobedience, you know, in our, in our flesh in the past. We, we tried to fulfill our lusts and desires instead of pleasing God. That's just who we are. We're all under sin. The second indictment is this there is none righteous. Verse 10 says this, as, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, not one single human ever was righteous. Romans 14, verses 1 to 3, uh, to the chief musician of Psalm of David, verse 1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They've done abominable works. There is none that doeth good, none. You say, man, I cut my neighbor's grass. What are you talking about? That's us comparing ourselves among ourselves. Do you see that? How does, how does cutting your neighbor's grass have anything to do with God's holiness and our sinfulness? And again, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't do good things, but, but our good things are defined as good when we compare ourselves among ourselves. When we compare ourselves to God, none of us are good. We can't do good. We can't do enough good indictment number three, there's none that understandeth. There's none that understandeth. Verse 11, there's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. And and again, if if we were to go back uh, to to Psalm 14, uh, Paul's quoting Psalm 14 amongst other passages. In verse two, it says this, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. I mean, God's looking. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. I mean, I mean, this is this is this is Paul and, and God's message through the apostle Paul to make man realize: here's the hard truth. And if you can receive the hard truth, you can you can you can you can receive the healing that's in Christ Jesus. But it's only it's only before you. Understand these things that you can really appreciate and understand what Christ did for you. There's none that understand it. First, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that the natural man, us in our lost sinfulness, we can't understand the things of God. We can't understand them. They're spiritually discerned. We can't know the things of God. And so there's none that understandeth. Number four is this, there's none that seeketh after God. And so man in his lost state, listen, he doesn't seek after God. God had to initiate seeking after him. Go back to the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, did they run to God or run from God? They ran from God. They hid amongst the trees of the garden. And God initiated reconciliation by pursuing them. God always takes the first step. Man does not take the first step. And so it's the death of Christ on the cross that draws men unto him. You know, John chapter 6 and verse 44 says this, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Uh, John chapter 12 and verse 32, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. God initiates reconciliation because lost man doesn't seek after God. And so thankfully God took the first step so he could redeem us. And Indictment number five is this. They are all gone out of the way. Verse 12 says, they are gone out of the way. They've become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. And man, I'm really not trying to be negative this morning. Uh, this is like the day that you come to church and it's like, man, there's no good news today. Well, there is at the end. Stick around. (laughs) But it's all bad news. Uh, Psalm 14 and verse 3 says, they're all gone aside. Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says that there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of what? Death. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way. The truth and the life, but man in his sinful nature, listen—he has gone out of the way. He's gone away from God, the way that is right in his own mind. Indictment number six is this: they are altogether become unprofitable. And, and Psalm fourteen and verse three says that they have become filthy. They're, they're just unprofitable to God. We can't do anything to please God or profit God in our sinful nature. Ecclesiastes chapter two verse eleven says this, and and. You know, Solomon wrote this, the wisest human outside of Jesus Christ that ever walked this planet. God gave him wisdom. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, I looked on all the works that my hand had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of the spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. It's just not profitable. Man on his best day can't, can't add value, can't, can't profit God diamond number seven, there is none that doeth good. There's none that doeth good. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20 says this, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good. You say, and don't we use this terminology, man, listen, if I ever talk about you to somebody else, I say, man, this is a good guy. This is a good brother. This is a good sister. And I'm not talking about your sin nature. I'm talking about you in Christ. <laughs> You're good because you know Jesus. This, this guy's a good brother. This guy's a good sister. Or girl is a good sister. We don't want to get that confused. This girl is a good sister. Listen, we're only good because we are in Christ. There, there's no one good but God. And as we, as we examine these things, man, it just you kind of get sick in your stomach. Because it makes you think, it's worse than I thought. <laughs> it's worse than I thought. Indictment number eight is this, their throat... Is an open sepulchre. And the next few of these are going to deal with things that come out of our mouth. You know, where the first few deal with our nature and what we do, the next few deal with our our, our mouth and the things that come out of our throat. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Listen, a sepulchre is a grave, it's a tomb, it's where dead things go. Mm. Psalm 5 and verse 9 says this for there's no faithfulness in their mouth, their inward part is very wicked, their throat is an open sepulchre. They flatter with their tongue and, and evil men in their sin. Indictment number nine, their tongues, they have used deceit. So have you ever deceived somebody with your tongue? Have you ever lied? Have you ever deceived and, and spoken things that weren't true? Listen, that, that's what we do. Even on our best day, man, nobody has escaped this, man. Uh, we're all liars. Indictment number 10, the poison of asp is under their lips. The poison, an asp is a a snake, it's a serpent. James, in in James chapter 3 and verse 8, says this, that the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly, what? Poison. It's full of deadly poison. Now, I know you think I'm talking about your neighbor, but I am talking about you too. Listen, I'm talking about you too, because... Because you probably hadn't made it a week without spewing some poison out of your mouth, just like I hadn't either, right? I mean, we all do that. Listen, it it proves the point that we're guilty. We're just guilty. Uh, Indictment number 11, our mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. James chapter 3, verses 10 to 11 says this, Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. That the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter and and man listen I I certainly uh, as a lost man man if you were around me for about thirty seconds you would say dude your mouth is horrible it was horrible and I could excuse that and say well I played sports and you know I could excuse it for my circumstances or maybe I just had some some problems but listen the, the point is Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth spoke, even as a lost man. And and listen, it it was full of cursings, and it was full of bitterness, and it just proved the point that I was guilty before God. Indictment number 12 is this. uh, Lost man's feet are swift to shed blood. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Proverbs 1 and verse 16 says, their feet run to do evil. You remember those days? You still living in those days? People can't wait to do evil and to shed blood. Isaiah 59 and verse 7. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths that's their that's the direction that they're going. And, and listen, man, that that's that's the life of a lost man in need of a savior. And diamond number 13 is this: destruction and misery are in their paths. We just read that, Isaiah 59 and verse 7. Destruction and misery are in their paths. You know, sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end of that thing brings death. It brings misery. It hurts not only yourself, but it hurts other people. Indictment number 14, the way of peace have they not known. That's a, a quote out of Isaiah 59 and verse 8. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths, and whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. I think as, as I, I think back to my life before I got saved, and and you think about what you try to find peace in, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in substances, whether it's in a position of of you know prominence, maybe with a job, maybe it's a financial status a certain car, a certain house, you, you try to find peace, and the only peace comes from the peace of God, <laughs> which passes all understanding. It comes in Christ. We, we can't have peace with God until we have the peace of God in our heart and life. And, and man, as a lost man, you'll never have peace. And, and whatever your hope of attaining it is, it'll leave you unfulfilled, because only Christ can fill that void. And then lastly, the, the 15th indictment is this, There's no fear of God before their eyes. And we need all Sunday morning to to preach this point, but we don't have it. You know, the fear of God will fix a lot of things. Psalm 36 verses 1 and 2 says this, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart, There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. You know, if a man doesn't fear God, he doesn't have to fear anybody. He just, he elevates himself, he flatters himself in his own eyes, but if he fears the Lord, he'll humble himself because he'll realize there's one greater than me. There's one greater than me, uh, and, it, and he is God. And so, and so those 15 indictments, again, just imagine God's courtroom, imagine the great white throne judgment in Revelation, where the lost stand before God, and we've already seen this a couple of weeks ago, and where they stand and try to reason why God should have mercy on them. And they, tr- they try to profess how good they really are. And God gives them an audience and lets them speak. And then God rolls off the, the charges. God rolls off the word of God. God. God shows them through what God's word says. God shows them through creation. God shows them through their conscience that they violated every one of those things. So that at the end of the day, man can say nothing other than, I'm guilty. And God says, I know you're guilty. That's why I sent Christ. And you rejected him. Man, what? knowing what you know about what God's word says about us as humans, which means what God's word says about you as an individual, why would you not run to Jesus? Why would you not run to Jesus? And maybe it's pride. Maybe it's embarrassment. You know, I, th- I think salvation, it's a powerful message, but it is a simple message. A child can understand it. It's, it's an adult decision, right? But a child can understand it. A child can understand, you know what? I do lie, and I'm jealous, and I'm mean. And those things don't please God. Even a child can understand that. And I think we as adults, we understand it. We just rebel against it. And, and, and thank God for the faith of a child. I think God just wants us to understand, man, this is how bad we really are. We think better of ourselves because we compare ourselves to each other among ourselves, but that's not wise. Before a holy God, we're all dirty, guilty sinners. Point number three is this, verse 19. Let's turn the corner on this thing, please. (laughs) Let's get out of this courtroom. We want to see the intention of the law, the intentions of the law. And so Paul tells us in verse 19, he says, now, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. And so he just wants us to understand that God said all of these things. And listen, when he talks about the law, uh, certainly it talks about the Ten Commandments. Obviously, uh, many times the Bible uses the word law to mean the Ten Commandments, but it also means the law of Moses, So the first five books of your Bible, the the Torah or the Pentateuch, and the point is that God gives us those things so that we won't have anything to say to God at that judgment so that we would realize that we become guilty and and so that we realize we need a savior. And so there's a couple of points that we want to talk about. How, How does the law work in our life to bring us to salvation, to realize our need for salvation? Number one, or point A in your notes, look, The law helps every mouth to be stopped. And the law helps all the world to become guilty before God. So, because the Bible says, you shall not lie, when you lie, it automatically makes you and I guilty. Does that make sense? It's the law that makes us understand we are guilty before God. It's what brings about the condemnation. And lest you think this morning, well... Man, I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. Lest lest you think in some skewed manner in your mind that you're doing pretty good as a lost man or a lost woman. James tells us that whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, just one, he is guilty. Same word, guilty. And how much of it is he guilty of? Is he guilty of the one point? He's guilty of all of it. And and God kind of puts that in there to help us understand. God gave us his law so that we have nothing to say. You know, when you look at that great white throne judgment, the mouths of lost sinners, there's going to be no excuse. There's going to be no excuse. The lost will have nothing other to say at that great day of judgment then amen. This is true. This is right. And they'll bow their knee and confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord, and they'll depart into everlasting fire for eternity. God gave us the law, not, not so that we could somehow achieve some kind of religious righteousness in the law. God gave us the law so that it proves the point we're guilty. And it makes us shut our mouth and, and stop declaring our own self-righteousness because look what I did. It makes us realize this law says don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, love your neighbor. And, and, and again, if you, we were to go back in the first five books, when we break that law, or at least Israel, when they broke that law, there was something required. There was a sacrifice that had to be made when you came to make the sacrifice, you're proving you're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. I mean, when you showed up to the tabernacle and offered the lamb or offered the turtle doves or offered whatever the sheep, you're literally professing, I'm guilty. That's what the law was for, is to to help us understand that we are guilty before God. Number two, Or point B is this, look, the law, God didn't give us the law as a means to justification. In other words, we don't get saved by keeping the law. Uh, The law is not a means to justification. It's God's tool to show humanity, I think, God's personal hatred for sin. It shows us how sinful sin really is. Romans chapter 4 and verse 15 says this, Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Romans 5 and verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Galatians 3 and verse 11, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by what? Faith, because all are guilty so the law is not some self-righteous means of justification. The word justification means God looks at you just as if you had never sinned. That only happens through Christ. It's only through his shed blood applied to our life. So, so point number C is this. The law was given to show us the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Man, my sin's not that bad. Ask God how bad it is. It was so bad, he had to send his son, God in the flesh, to bleed out and die for your sin and for my sin. That's how bad it is. And He didn't even have to do that. He loved us so much that he did that. It it is so bad that your sin and my sin completely sever and separate us from a holy and righteous God. Romans 5 and verse 20 says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Romans 7 and verse 13, but sin, that it might appear sin, worketh death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. I mean, God just wants to get our attention. Your sin is not a shortcoming, it's exceedingly sinful so much so that it cost God's blood to redeem us and forgive us and to save us and to justify us from our sin. That's how bad it is. Well, I don't think of it that bad. Well, well, God doesn't care how you think about it. (laughs) This is what God said about it. It's really bad. It's It's the worst thing ever. Number D is this. Look, the the law was a schoolmaster that was to bring us to Christ. It was a schoolmaster. And so school's in session this morning. God God wants to educate all of us on the depth of our depravity. And it ultimately is going to lead us to Christ. I mean, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19 says this, wherefore then serveth the law. In other words, what's the point? How does the law serve us? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Listen, Galatians chapter 3 verse 22, listen to this, verses 22 to 26. The Bible says, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin, we read that in Romans chapter 3, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. If we're all guilty... We all have the opportunity to believe on Christ. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. And nobody likes going to school, man, especially our kids when we're on summer break right now. You're not even thinking about school. Don't talk about school. I don't want to go to class. I don't I don't even think about it. But when you go to school, you learn something. You have a teacher that's teaching you something, And the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For you are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. I just want you to understand. All those things that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3 are to make us realize and bring us to Christ. Make us realize our sinfulness that is exceedingly sinful and man, I need to run to Jesus because I'm guilty. And this isn't in your notes, but the last point is this. The law was given only to sinners. The law wasn't given to the righteous. And so 1 Timothy chapter one and verse nine, you can, you can just jot this down. And then I got one verse that's not in your notes that we'll close with. You know, the law was given only to sinful people, to sinners, not to the righteous. And, 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 and when Paul wrote his epistle to First Timothy or, or to Timothy in First Timothy chapter one verse nine, he says, "Knowing this that the law is not made for a righteous man, I mean a righteous man doesn't need the law because he's already righteous. So the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners." for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for homongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. And you would sometimes look at that list and say, thank God that's not me. Well, you're still contrary to sound doctrine. Somehow, someway. You may not be a murderer of fathers and murderers of mother. Good gosh, how horrible. You may not be a manslayer. Don't we always elevate it? Well, at least I'm not a murderer. Okay, well, what about these other things? Unholy, profane, defiling yourself with mankind, men-sealers. How about lying? That one gets us all. It's amazing. We don't have to be taught that, by the way. <laughs> we do not have to be taught that. I'm dealing with that in my home. It's, it's amazing. It, it's just amazing at a young age. Why are you telling lies? No, that's not true. What you're saying is not true. That's a lie. No, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it's because we, we're just by nature sinners. So, so we're all guilty, man, and God, God, God's point in Romans 3, the, the, the conclusion, and thank God verse 21 next week, we really do turn the corner. I want you to turn to John chapter 3 real quick. You know, the point is we have to t- come to terms with our guilt. We, we have to t- come to terms with our sin. We have to come to terms with who we really are. I was reading a guy, like, uh, author uh, this weekend and and you know he was talking about the depth of our depravity and and certainly it's exceedingly sinful and even after you know he got saved uh, you know in his mind and in his heart he would say that i'm I'm just a sinner saved by grace like like the only thing good about me is Christ and that's it <laughs> and he made comments like Man, even my repentance needs to be repented of. I mean, he was just like, you know, I'm just broken without Christ. I mean, without him, I am absolutely nothing. So, so John chapter 3 and verse 16, I thought this would be a fitting verse to close because, because the point of what we read in Romans 3 was that the whole world becomes guilty before God. And you know this passage, but I think the context now will be a little cleaner for you and clearer. For God so loved the world. The guilty world that is condemned in their sin. And it's been proven unquestionably, undoubtedly, that we are sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, the world was already condemned. But that the world, the guilty world, whomever will call upon him and believe, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth on not, he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Listen, listen, when you when you read Romans three, and I'm ready to get out of it. Ain't nobody more ready to get out of it than me. But when you read that and you really put handles on the exceeding sinfulness of our sin, it brings a, a new appreciation or a clearer appreciation of our salvation in Christ. It makes you really appreciate and understand the, the depth and the extent and the power of God's love. The broken people. It really, really does. So guys, listen, I, I know many of you would say, hey, I know I'm saved. Okay. Make sure you know what you're saved from. What we read this morning is what you got saved from. So you didn't get saved because you became religious or you prayed a prayer. You got saved because you realized I'm guilty and God, please forgive me. And God, please forgive me. And guys, listen, we are called to take this message, which is a hard message, to the world. And and, and so if we are saved and we appreciate what God's done in our heart and life, listen, there's a whole lot of people that still need to hear the hard truth so that God can bring healing in their heart and life as well. All right? Let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll dismiss.